Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Welcome to the Real Estate Strategies Podcast, where we host in-depth conversations on everything real estate with the industry's biggest movers and shakers. I'm your host, Ken McElroy, joined by my co-host, Daniil. Let's get right into this episode. Welcome to the Ken McElroy Show. I'm your host, Daniil. Today, we're going to jump right in to things to do if your property is sitting empty. And I think that this is an important one um, because a lot of people are having issues uh, filling their rentals right now. Yeah. Um, you know, everything's just slowing down a little bit on all fronts. It's so funny. People are used to like, oh, my gosh, like I've had a vacancy more than a week. Like you have no idea. Well, that happened to me on my last one. I had a vacancy for three weeks and I was like, maybe I need to lower the price. And you're like. Not necessary. Well, you were lowering the price when you first got in the business uh, because it was making a day. I know. I'm used to running it out before the other people yeah. out. And, well, that's a good point. That's why I like this topic. You know, I came from, you know, property management hell, right? Like, it, it, you know, the business is tough. So a vacancy two to three weeks is about right. And, you know, what we've experienced this point is... uh you know, it's been a gift. Yeah, it's been abnormal, right? And uh, you don't want to do what I did, which is, you know, if you have any kind of gap, just lower your price because, you know, you could be, as long as you're priced correctly, you could be missing out on rents just because you're impatient. Well, there's there's a bunch of things, uh, you know, to, to fill a vacancy. And I think we should start with before the person moves out, if you even know. So, Let's call it a non-skip, which hopefully most of yours are non-skips. So, so it's just your normal person giving you notice and saying they're going to move. So you have anywhere from 30 to 60 days right. notice that that person is going to move. And there's a lot you can do before they move uh, to make sure that the place is even pre-rented uh, while somebody's in there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think as soon as somebody gives me a notice, and I do require a 60-day because I like the extra time, um, I get a handyman in there to just assess yes. what's going on. Right? Very important, guys. Listen, yeah. I'm telling you, you need to know, especially now with all these supply chain issues, uh, what you need. You might need a refrigerator. You might need a new carpet. You just don't know what you're going to need. And also it gives you an opportunity to take a look at whether or not the the the, how the renter lives and, and, uh, you have to give proper notice. Each state's a little bit different. I think in, uh, it can be 24 to 48 hours, but you have the right as a landlord to go in and, and, and assess anything that you might need. And start fixing it. Correct. You know, I don't like to fix like little things early, like, you know, little holes in the walls. Cause anything that can be done in a day's work, you don't need to fix beforehand. But if you have some big issues, then in things you have to order, yep. you want to know about that sooner than later. That's right. So if you have a rental house, you could have multiple bedrooms and, you know, yards and garages and all kinds of things. You know, it's easier, obviously, with smaller apartments. But the point is, when that resident gives you notice, you should immediately schedule something, go in and, to your point, even go in yourself and with a, with a handyman. And, and, and start to knock out some of these things. Because all that stuff, those are vacancy days. So right now they're occupancy days. So that you have to think of them as occupancy days and vacancy days. So if your rent is, let's say, $1,500, then your, your vacancy day is $50. That's how you have to look at it. Each day that goes by, it's a $50 loss or a $50 gain. 
So it's a really important that you go get that done before. Yeah. And the other thing that's important is that you schedule. So you have your handyman come in and, you know, gauge everything. And then you schedule them for the day after their move out day. Yeah. Because, you know, you try to schedule your handyman last minute. As some of you know, especially nowadays, you know, they might be three weeks booked out. Ours is. I mean, as much business as we give them, uh, you know, it's frustrating. They're, They're two to three weeks out. Absolutely. For, you know, and, some, you know, we're used to like, hey, could you be here this week? Yes. It's not like that right now. Absolutely. So you just need to, you know, that's a really good point. You know, you need to ideally rent your unit while you still have somebody else in there, which is why I like the 60 days. I really recommend the 60 day notice. It's really beneficial to you um, because a lot of times what happens is your tenants, they have to move out before the 60 day because, you know, they bought a house or they're moving or whatever. And then you have a little buffer time when they're not there and they're still paying rent to try to get somebody else in there. And I always tell my tenants, if I can get somebody else in before the end of your 60 days, refund, then I will give you your money back or that, you know, that portion of your money back. So it's a win-win because it gives me some time to get it clean, to get it fixed. Well, you just did that recently. Yeah, yeah. I've done it most of the time. Yeah. And that's a great incentive for the uh, renter, you know, because then now the renter's working with you. If if you could re-rent that thing, and um, and the tenant moves out and they can get some of their rent back because you, you, you can't collect double rent. So right. uh, and and you in the actual lease, you can put a 60 day move out requirement. You A 60 day notice is required. So this is all part of the initial lease that that you put in. And then for the next tenant, if it's not in there now, that gives you 60 days. Uh, it really can help mitigate vacancy. And your tenants are really appreciative, you know, because most of the time, or almost all the time, I've been able to run it out before the end of that 60 days. So they get part of their money back. And then they're very happy with me because I'm going to the effort to rent it. But it's also beneficial to me because it's less of a chance I'm going to have that gap. And the other good thing is if there is major damage, because I've had one time where I had some pretty major damage, it actually gave me time to fix that damage. Um, because it was kind of last minute, hey, we're moving out in two weeks because we bought a house and there was a bunch of damage and I sent my handyman in there and they had smoked in the unit, which I no longer allow, but it was very smoky. And that gave me like, yeah. you know, three weeks to try to get that smoke smell out because that was really tough. Where if it would have been, hey, we're leaving and then I only had, you know, no time without them in there, then it would have, um, I would have probably lost a month's rent because I couldn't show it smoky like yeah that. and the, yeah the other thing is you got to understand somebody that's going to rent something from you they're also giving notice and they're also looking so that you know they you you might be able to rent the unit um you know uh obviously right away but the the people that are looking are also looking 30 60 days before so you know, you want to make sure that you're, what you're trying to do is save on those vacancy days. That's what you're actually trying to solve too. Yeah. And something I've really noticed is, you know, people that look way ahead, like, you know, 30, 45 days ahead, they're typically your more put together, organized kind of people because they are looking that much ahead. So you don't, you don't want it to be vacant. And then, you know, three days later, want somebody to move in, right? Because you don't want somebody scrambling. Like, why are you scrambling that much? You know, so you kind of want it that 60-day notice because it really gives you some time. Yeah, be careful of the, I'll pay you all cash as long as you don't run a background check. Yeah, exactly. I move into tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, you know, most people uh, aren't looking for immediate occupancy unless they're looking for like a hotel. So, right. You, you know, most people have furniture and, and potentially kids or pets or, you know, they're relocating and they have all these things going on. And that's one thing. So, they also need notice as well. So that 60-day notice is a good idea. And that kind of gives you, um, you know, a little bit of breathing room to try to, again, reduce the number of vacancy days. Absolutely. Because as we, as landlords know, we hate vacancies because they don't bring in any money. And we wanted to do the video today because I think a lot of you out there are sitting there with empty properties right now because the market slowed a little. Everything's kind of slowed down. And some people are getting really concerned, especially if you're very tight on very small margins. And there's things that you and I look at with different properties um, that people do so they remain vacant, right? They're kind of hindering themselves with some of the things they do. So we kind of wanted to go over some of those things today. Um, How long before you'd start to, like, because you did say something interesting to me. You said, you know, as long as you're getting showings, even if people aren't renting, 
that means that, you know, your your ad's good and your pictures are good and the price seems good based on the pictures. But then if you're showing, so if you're showing a lot, it seems to all, the ad seems to be good. But then if you're not renting and you're showing, it seems like maybe there's something wrong with the unit or maybe you're misrepresenting an ad. All of that's true. So, you know, so let's say it's vacant. The first thing that a lot of people make mistakes on is that we would never, ever show a non-ready unit. Never. So, in other words, so you never want to show a unit that does not have new flooring, new carpet, new this, new that, freshly painted, freshly, um, uh, you know, the housekeeper's been through there and it smells really nice. You would never want to show a unit that uh, everything's not fully done. It's really, really hard to rent something that is uh, just moved out. I have walked through thousands of units and they're in all kinds of conditions. And it, you don't want somebody that's going to walk through and say, yeah, I'll take it. And I trust you. It's going to look nice. You want it. So you do have to turn it. We personally like to turn our units in two to three days upon right. move out. That's very, 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 very important because then like to your point, you can walk in, you can smell that smoke. You can, the tenants are looking for maintenance issues. They're looking for things. Um, and so, you know, you got to pay attention to from the time they pull up to the, where they're walking, they're, they're evaluating everything. Where are my kids going to play? Where am, where am I going to walk my dog? You know, is this a secure place, especially um, depending if, let's, let's say, they're seniors or do they have stairs or no stairs or, or maybe, um, you know, uh, somebody who's safety conscious, you know, uh, all those kinds of things are issues. So you have to be thinking, put yourself in the, in the, in the mind of the tenant. So the, the unit is, itself, it sounds rather obvious, but you'd be surprised at how many people don't. You know, they just, well, just jam another person in there. That, that, you know, and so when you can take all those factors away, to your point, then now it becomes typically maybe a, a financial issue for them or a pricing issue. You know, I mean, just as a couple examples. So you might not be priced uh, adequately or they might be uh, stretchy, you know, personally, and they, they can't particularly afford. Maybe uh, Maybe you're asking for the first month's rent plus a first month uh, deposit, you know, so they're moving costs, you know, all those kinds of things. So you have to kind of get into their head and find out, you know, what it is that um, is going to help you rent that unit. Yeah, and we're going to go through some of these here in a minute, but I kind of want to just go over the basics too. And I know it's something that we used to do when I rented apartments. Um, you know, all the lights were on, yep. all the blinds were open, yes. and all the doors were wide open. Right. Because what this does is it makes the unit appear bigger. It shows that there's light coming in. So those things do help. A because lot. if they're walking to this dark apartment and you have all the blinds closed and there's shut doors everywhere, it's not going to present in the same way is when it's light and airy and there's some, you know, some breeze coming in and things like that, right? So it's more of the experience as they're walking through because it is a sales job. You know what I mean? It's not a, you know, it's not hard sales, but it is a sales job. They're, they're touring more than your apartment. Yeah. So what can you do to make your apartment kind of stand out? That's right. And you can have little things in there too. Like, like we actually put, uh, you know, beverages in the refrigerator. We put some fruit out, you know, we light some candles. I know this all sounds a little corny, but those are all little things that just make it not look like a sterile vacant apartment. So when they come in, say, Hey, would you like a water? Would you like a soda? You know, you know, what would you like? And, and, and even if they say no, trust me, if they're out looking and shopping, you're going to stick out a little bit. Absolutely. Yep. So let's go through some things that we've seen or that, you know, we recommend as you're trying to rent your unit. So number one is the most obvious, right? You need to look, it's, it's most obvious, but you don't want to just run to this one. Um, but look at your rent prices. Uh, are you priced adequately? Are you too, are you priced too high? And this is easy to do by just kind of like going on Zillow, looking at local apartments. Apartments do a lot of work on pricing. So find an apartment in your area, a couple apartments, and kind of see where they're priced at and then how you are aligned or disaligned with them. 
And uh, I think those are good places to start. If you're if you're literally fifty dollars or a hundred dollars high, then that could be the difference. I mean, you think about fifty dollars based on my example earlier. That's one vacancy day. So you know it it you need to really understand your pricing. And the other thing is you got to be very careful with pricing it too low, which yeah. is what Danielle ran into before. And that is when they came up for renewal, her tenant was significantly below market. Absolutely. And you don't want to just run to pricing. You know, that's what everyone wants to run to. Oh, I'm priced too high. I need to lower it. Well, that could be, but that's why you need to check. Because a lot of times, you know, you're discounting your pricing when you could have done some of these other things we're going to talk about that would have got your place rented. Yeah. Well, on the other side of that, I know you've got a place uh, where you're, uh, you're, five or six hundred higher than the your friend's unit uh, next door yeah so you know same it, exact unit it can work the other way too you know so you got to be careful you know you could have priced yours at the same as her and you would have gotten five six thousand dollars less a year right um but now in her situation she's now looking to you so but the market sets the rent not you that's right. a that's the important piece exactly. vacancy supply, you know, um, all kinds of things set the market rent, just like anything else. It's like when you go to Vegas, I used to live in Vegas. Whenever like the final four weekend or the Super Bowl weekend, the, the prices of the hotels were a lot higher. And then in the off weekends, of course, they were a lot lower. It's the same with rental market, you know, yep. when, you know, there are different seasons and, and, and uh, all kinds of things that can, uh, that can determine your pricing. Absolutely. So I think, think the second thing I want to address is when you show them the unit, you want to make sure you're showing them around the property and the area, right? Don't just, hey, here's my two-bedroom, you know, if you, ha- know. if you have that, right? Like in, in a lot of cases, you might not have a whole property, but you're right. Yeah, but but even what's around, hey, there's a dog park, yes. like right across the street. There's a bike path. There's this awesome restaurant that's right around the way. Yes. You know, you're selling them on the area because like we were saying before, they're going in a, a whole bunch of different apartments, right? And, you know, like an apartment might be the right one, but there's probably a lot of nice apartments they're looking at. But if you can sell them on why this area, why this unit, you know, what's so great about it? And, you know, like, especially if they have dogs, like the amenities for the dogs, like all that stuff is a big, big selling point. Think, think of Airbnb, like when you go in and they have the binder, it says these are all the things, you know, in the area, you know, that you're flipping through, especially if those are important things. And I'm sure you know where they are, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but all the little things, all the little conveniences that people have to, you know, figure out when they first move somewhere. Um, you know, those are very, very important things. Yeah. And even if you do have a nice property, you know, walk them, hey, here's the pool on Saturdays, you know, you could read out here or you could have a party, you know, you have some friends over out here and here's the business center and here's the workout room. And because even if the people don't use it, it's just showing there's so many amenities. That's right. That's exactly right. And it's really, that part's really important. You know, here's your mailbox because you want them to feel like, I could live here. I could see myself checking the mail here. I could see myself relaxing at the pool on a Saturday morning. So when they start feeling like they could live there, they're more likely to rent there. Yep. Yep. And so the the big hot buttons for people are traditionally security and parking. Um, you know, if it's light or not, you know, all of those kinds of things are really, really important. The environment, the area that's, uh, you know, those are always the continually constant things. Absolutely. So the a third one is, and I've seen this like recently, I know I just had a tenant that rented from me that great tenant, but he, cause he had three small dogs, nobody would, would let him rent from them. Right. So are you allowing animals and what are your restrictions around that? So if you're not allowing animals in your unit, which I know some of you aren't, you're eliminating at least 50% of people that, yeah. that live in an apartment. Cause I, I, right now, three out of the four of my uh, tenants have animals. So you know, I think that that's maybe something to consider if you're not considering animals. Yeah. I think what people default to, they think of drug dealers with pit bulls, you know. It, it's just not the case. Mm-hmm. You, you know, we decided to embrace pets. And what happened was we had, um, you think about most seniors. I mean, many seniors, maybe not most, many, 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 many seniors. They have pets usually, you know, small pets typically. And so you're cutting out, in my opinion, one of the best rental markets 
you know, ever. The other thing, pet owners are very conscientious. We bring our dogs everywhere and we pay deposits, you know, in our Airbnbs and, and, you know, and we're responsible pet owners. I would say the majority of the people are, you know, there's very rarely do we have issues at the properties with, with pets. Uh, one of the things that, one of my things when, when we go somewhere or, uh, you know, we rent to people with pets is we were cognizant of what is it that they want. So, you know, they want an area where their dog can go run, they can let them out, you know, and, and, um, you know, all those little things are important if you're going to do that. It, it, by the way, you can get more rent this way. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and as long as you're collecting some pet rent and you're collecting a pet deposit, that's refundable, yep. you know, then who cares? You know, because I know like people like my parents and stuff, they get very worried about the floor and things like that. But as long as you're getting that deposit and you are renting to people that are responsible, chances are you're going to be fine. Yeah, and it's a rental. So you have to decide whether or not you want pets because, you know, they are going to do a little bit more damage. Yeah. Yeah, let's just face it. But so are kids. Really? And, uh, of course, you can't discriminate against kids. But, you know, the 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 reality is a rental's a rental, right? So um, what we what we do is we, 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 we've moved away from carpet completely. So we have what we call hardscapes. So, and you know, those snap in flooring, you can look like, you know, faux wood or whatever. You could really, that could be very, very, very nice. And, you know, with small pets and all that, it's not a problem. If you have a little yard or something like that, um, and you're going to open up, I guess the point is you're going to open up a whole world of, of, and you can determine what you want as a pet or not want as a pet. Right. Right. Yeah. Like you can say, I have a, I have a, a size restriction or a breed restriction. Those are all things that you could do. And I would encourage you to go online and look, you know, there are certain breeds that are more aggressive than others. You can just say, sorry, we don't, you know, that's not, that's not something that, um, that we accommodate. And, but that's not going to really hurt you too much. No, there's not very many people that have like this big aggressive dog. They want to move into the rental. Right. Um, and also like the number, right? Because like my tenant, who's great, he has three small dogs. If he had two small dogs, he could have rented a million apartments before mine. But because they have this limit of two, yeah. I now am letting him have a third small dog. But in my opinion, I'm like, what the heck's the difference between two small dogs and a, a three small dogs? And he's a, by the way, he's a great tenant. Great. Yeah. He's actually super, super tidy and every, you know, everything. And uh, the interesting thing is, is that you got into a dialogue with him. Yeah. That's how you knew. Well, he was so desperate. You know, he basically, I answered the phone, you know, for the, my, you know, condo. Hey, I need to move. And now it's at the three-week point and I'm getting nervous because I can't find anyone that allows three dogs. So just first off the bat, will you allow three small dogs? And I said, yes. You know, because if he meets all the other requirements I have, then of course, three small dogs is going to be fine. Now, three big dogs, I mean, that's going to be a little bit tight for a two-bedroom apartment. But, you know, you just have to use your own common sense. But don't just turn away people because they have more than one pet. I mean, knock on wood, I haven't had much pet damage at my apartments. And then the little bit that I've had has been like a hundred bucks here, a hundred bucks there. And then they just pay for it. Yeah. And don't forget, you're getting 50 or a hundred dollars more a month right. in pet rent and you have a pet deposit. Yeah. So you have, you, you actually have a deposit that will fix anything that you need to have fixed right. and you're getting more rent. And pet owners will pay it. Absolutely. So I think we killed the pet issue. Yep. So if you're not allowing animals and you have an empty unit, allow animals. Um, and then the the third one, though, is... Our fourth one? Is it fourth? <laughs> fourth one. Is um, your expectations may be too high on your tenants. So um, I've, I have not personally encountered this, but I know people that are really worried about I mean kind of like in Idaho when I rented that unit and the lady kept coming next door and peering in the windows and stuff making sure I wasn't yeah like, yeah this is a touchy one though you got to be yeah. careful you can't discriminate period no, so discriminate. yeah so you run an application and um, that's it yeah. uh, I mean you have to have very clear guidelines and it has to be the same no matter what you you just had a, a creepy landlord why it was a lady. I wouldn't say oh, she's crazy. It was a lady and a husband, but I mean, they were just very worried. I was their first 
tenant and they were worried that's about property. So they were carried in the window. No, no, I know. That, that's more of a, that's an issue uh, with the landlord. They need to go to counseling. But but for, for people, though, like, I mean, I, I do know that people sometimes, like, you know, if, if, you know, things aren't, like, perfect, you know, we were very strict. So, you know, the credit score's got to be good and the debt to income and all of that. But, you know, you still allow, you know, people to rent as long as they meet all the qualifications. Yeah, that's a good point. You have to run criminal credit background checks. We've talked about this in the past. We run a sex offender check, a, you know, criminal background check, and you can discriminate against that. You can say, sorry, you know. Uh, you, you know, you have a, a criminal record. This is a little controversial, just to let you know. Some people think that um, you, you should rent, um, you know, to, you know, but I, I just, you know, for us as a company, we've just said, sorry, you know, and, but again, we have criteria for every single tenant. We don't know their age, their, you know, their, their gender. We know nothing. Literally, they fill out an application and they either fit in the box or they don't. Absolutely. So, but if you're paranoid about it, just, you know, let the credit score and the, you know, background check be your guide. So that's right. Um, number five is the security deposit. So you are the one that gave me the idea on this. And typically that security deposit is one month's rent, but sometimes people don't have all of that, right? Because now you're talking about one month's rent plus the first month's rent. So this can be thousands of dollars. So what you can do is you, if they meet all your other qualifications, you can do a payment plan for the, yeah. for the security deposit. You got to, again, guys, look, this is the same if you're buying a home and you need a down payment or you're buying a car and you need a down payment. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, the amount of money that is needed to rent something, you know, can be an obstacle. And so all you're trying to do is solve for that obstacle, right? Um, you know, it's not a, I wouldn't call it a great practice, but it is something to explore. You know, if, you know, if, if, if rents are 1500 and then you require a, a first and last, let's say, uh, you know, now you're at 3000 plus the credit, you know, screening and all the other thing, you know, it is just, it could be out of reach for a lot of people. Some people might have two grand or 2,500. And they might not have extra and they're not going to, most of the time, they're not going to just say, I don't have the money. Right. You know, they're just going to say, I'm going to keep looking. Um, and so, you know, you don't always have to have one month's rent. You know, you can have less, but um, if you want to have one month, then, uh, by the way, these are landlord tenant laws basically say what you can and can't do. But if, um, you know, to your point, you can do something, well, why don't we just do an extra hundred a month? for 12 months, or why don't we do 300 or 400 a month and just what, you know, you just work with them while they're building up. By the way, it's a deposit. So the way to spin it for the tenant is it's a deposit. It's not a non-refundable fee. So it's your money. We're just holding it on your behalf. It's your money based on the condition of the apartment when you move. But that could be a deal breaker for them. If they're, you know, say your unit and two other units, they're kind of debating and they can do some installments on your security deposit, that might put them to pick your, you know, your unit because now you've already, I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, what if they just stop paying me rent? Now I don't have any security deposit. You've already vetted them. They already have great credit. They already have a great background. They already have, you know, no prior evictions or issues. So now all you're doing, because a lot of times when you move out of your previous unit, you don't, you know, the landlord doesn't have to give you back your security deposit, at least in Arizona, for 30 days. So they have all this money tied up in this other security deposit that they don't get for 30 days. And, you know, it's a lot of, it can be a lot of money for people. So if you feel like, especially as our rents have increased dramatically over the past couple of years. So if you're thinking that that might be maybe, you know, something that they're kind of struggling with, that they're asking a lot about the price, you know, then maybe that's an option you could give to them. Yeah. The other you know. thing is that if you guys are concerned about all that, there's, you can have a renter um, get renter's insurance. So you can make it mandatory. So 
for like 20 to $30 a month, you can get insurance. So if you're afraid of damage, because what really deposits are about damage. So that's one way we, we do that as a company. We, we have our renters get renters insurance. That's one more thing that helps, you know, on the damage side. Uh, there's also another couple other companies out there called Sure Deposit, where you can actually insure the deposit. So let's say your deposit is 1500 they, you know, it's an insurance policy for the deposit. So there's all kinds of products out there to help, again, the, the, you know, the, rent, the landlord rent the unit. So, it, you know, it, don't be dissuaded by just having them having to come up with that 1500 let's say. Absolutely. And then the next one we're going to get to is lease terms. So, you know, some people are, you know, dead set in their 12-month lease, right? They don't want to consider anything else. And I get that because I prefer a 12-month lease. But if somebody is going to, you know, if your property's sitting vacant and you have somebody that's willing to do a six-month lease or maybe even a three- or four-month lease, then that might be something you want to consider, especially if you're in a slow point like Phoenix, like the slow point is kind of summer. And this little three-month bump could take you to a busier point, let's say, for Phoenix, like October, right? So that kind of gives you more time if you do have somebody that wants a shorter lease that you wouldn't normally consider. But if it's sitting empty, it might not be a bad thing to consider. Yeah, it's possible. We typically don't like to do anything under six. But to your point, if if you're trying to shore up some vacancy loss, trying to get somebody in there, the, the challenge with that, of course, is that you might be moving somebody into, you know, a unit that, you know, costs you a few hundred dollars to turn. And so you do have that. So you might want to charge a little bit more for a shorter term lease you know, you could charge 100 or 200, let's say more per month. You want to compensate for any any short-term costs. As a general rule, we don't do this, but to Daniil's point, if when summer hits in Phoenix, you know, rentals go way down or winter in some areas, you know, go way down. So, you know, if somebody's willing to move in during a period of time, and you know, we always, we always joke around because if something's vacant, let's say in Phoenix, and at the end of May, it might be vacant until October because of the hot summer, potentially. Not always, but you get the point. So, um, you know, so you have to kind of evaluate that based on the amount of inquiries you're getting and all that kind of stuff. But generally, um, you know, I don't have any problem with shorter term leases. Uh, you know, obviously you want to try to get a 12 if you can, but um, if, if they can't, then, you you know, why not do a six, seven or eight, nine or a 10 month lease? Well, and I also do this with my renewals, right? So if I have somebody's that is their lease is expiring in May and they tell me, hey, Janelle, I want to go month to month because, you know, I'm looking for a house or I'm, you know, don't know what I'm going to be doing. And it's Phoenix. I say, hey, I'm going to charge you more to go month to month. But if you extend till September, I'll keep your rent the same because that floats me through summer. So I don't have a vacancy. So they're not giving me a 30 day notice or 60 day notice in June. Smart. So, you know, and then that's a win win for the tenant because they kind of assess and they're like, well, I'm probably not going to be moving in, you know, three months. Right. So they just didn't, didn't want to commit to the year. So it's a win win because it floats me over the summer here, which is our slow time. And then it puts me in a good month to start. Yep, that's a good point. And what you want is a disincentive in the lease to go month to month. That's what you want. So if they go month to month, it's 100, 200 more a month. And, you know, what you want is um, you want them to re-sign. You don't really want month to month fees. What you really want is a renewed lease. So, but some people need a month to month, let's say if they're buying a home or something, they need the flexibility. So uh, it's okay to have a month to month clause for people that, that want that. They want that flexibility or, you know, the shorter commitment. Yep. And then another thing to do is just make sure you're advertising all the places that you could be. Because I know, like, for me, my predominant place I rent is through Zillow, and they put it on, like, truly on hot pads. But, like, when I had that vacancy for three weeks, I started putting it on Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, posting it on my own Facebook page, um, my own Instagram because, and I got a lot more traction and I ended up still renting it through Zillow, but I had a lot more traction. And what it taught me is that I need to be doing this every time, because if I would have been having that traction the whole time, I probably could have rented it on a yeah. different avenue. So don't just commit yourself to one 
place to advertise. Yeah, for sure. You should be putting it everywhere. Anything that, anything you think about Craigslist even, you know, all you want is people calling, right? right? And then you have your criteria set and um, you just want traffic. You want phone calls, traffic. You want, you know, another really good one is, um, you know, sometimes you can get your renter if they're uh, breaking a lease to actually refer somebody that they know. Um, that helps, you know, we, in a, in a property that has lots of, uh, other renters in it, we, we have resident referrals where they can get some money off on their own rent. Um, but you're right. You gotta, you have to basically blanket it out there. Don't go to one source and, um, you know, and the one thing that, uh, you know, you can be expensive is, you know, using a realtor. You know, I'm nothing against realtors, but, you know, they're going to charge you a month rent or half a month rent, um, you know, and, you know, that might be something that you might want to do, but that should be um, after you exhaust all the other things. Absolutely. Right. And then also, you know, something that's worked well for me is going down to your actual community, your apartment community. And posting just a piece of paper yeah. with little slips on it, because there could be somebody there that is in a one bedroom that wants a two bedroom or somebody that doesn't like their landlord because they don't fix things that wants a new landlord, you know, that loves the community. So putting those up the old school way. Yeah, old school. Too. Yeah, At the mailboxes. At the mailboxes. And uh, also, yep. And the local uh, grocery stores and coffee shops, those yep. kinds of things. You know, this is a hustle, you know, yep. you, you want to like people need to know that you have a vacancy. So. Whatever you can do, you know, we call those little bandit signs. You know, as you drive around, you see those little signs that says vacant two-bedroom, you know, X or whatever, phone numbers. Those work. People call on those kinds of things. So the thing is, is if you know you have a vacancy, but other people don't know, then that's the problem. Right. <laughs> so you, just, you need to let everyone know that you've got this vacancy until you don't. Yeah, the hardest part about being a landlord is your vacancies, and you got to work really hard to fill them. And that's, you know, people always ask me, is, is it a lot of work to be a landlord? And this is the time where it can be a lot of work because yeah. you need to be out, boots on the ground, you know, figuring out how to rent your unit to the right people. You know, we have a, we have a tenant that uh, we bought a place together, as you guys know, we've talked about before. I don't think the guy's ever called or, you know, once he moved in, you know. Fine, he fixes things. Yeah, he fixes things. I had a tenant like that for nine years. And, um, you know, so it's not always that way. Trust me. You don't always, you don't always get gold like that, but, um, sometimes you do, but you're right. Trying to fill that, uh, that vacancy, um, can be hard. Yep. All right. So now we're going to move to our inner circle questions. Make sure if you're watching, you hit the like button. I know I'm not live, but I am going to look at this. So make sure you hit the like button and, uh, if you go to kensinnercircle.com, it's uh, 30 bucks a month, and you can ask Ken questions and do all of our happy hours and book clubs. That's right. So Gian from the Inner Circle, speaking of animals, she put, can I take a dog from some tenants and not others? I have a tenant that is really responsible, and I let her get a dog. But another one of my tenants wants a dog, and she is already messy, so I'm concerned. <laughs> So you need to create a policy and live with the policy. You know, yeah. I would be careful with that one. You know, it's, it, it, you know, uh, it, it's, you know, there, she could take that and turn that into something else. Right. Yeah. So I'd be very careful there. And just, again, set a policy with your, with your, now you can set that around, um, um, condition, you know, and, and there's other things that you can do inside of that pet. There's a pet agreement, Right. So, um, you know, but I'd be careful on discriminating because you're really discriminating against the person. Exactly. And so you can't discriminate, you know, in being a landlord. And so the policy is the policy. Just make sure you have your security deposit. And then if the dog ruins things, breaks things, scratches things, you have a deposit to fix all of that damage. That's right. And like I said, you can be breed restrictive. So if she wants to get this huge dog, maybe you only take dogs under 20 pounds or whatever your rule is. Um, Emily's question, I like this one. I want to get into real estate investing, but I feel like it's a man's world. What is Daniil's advice and Ken's opinion? I like she called mine advice and yours an opinion. First your advice. You know, I actually think that you, because there are so many men in real estate, being a woman in real estate, it's actually you have some advantages there. Um, I think that it's going to be possibly a little easier for you to get a mentor. I think it's going to be um, 
you know, you'll be able to work with maybe some um, homeowners that are women that would rather work with a girl or even some guys that rather work with a girl than a guy. So I think that, you know, being different actually gives you an advantage versus being all the same. And I haven't really noticed. I mean, I've gotten a little bit of, oh, you're a girl, whatever, you know, but not any more than just normal life. I actually, I'm being serious. I I think the majority of the women that I, um, majority of people I'm dealing with are women. I mean, look at my company. Well, yeah, you have mostly women in your company. But I would say that like real estate investors are yeah, predominantly still, men. I don't know. Like, I mean, uh, well, maybe, you know, I guess at the commercial property level, that pro that could be accurate. I, I think that's changing. It is changing. Yeah, it's changing a lot. But um, boy, I it I it, it it seems to me like there's a lot of very, very smart women uh, investors that, that that we deal with a lot. And so for me, um, ex with the exception of maybe the commercial property level, I, I feel like there's uh it's uh, there's a lot yeah i mean i would just say to 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 use that to your advantage you know yeah use the fact that you're a woman to your advantage so um i think there's ways you can do that and i think that you know you can be very successful you have to have confidence but you have to have confidence if you're a man too anybody that's going to try to be raising money from other people buying things managing tenants well, regardless, you're going to need confidence. Our, I mean, I, I I don't know the real number, but it seems like most real estate agents are women. Yeah, I'd say more than men. Yeah, and so what, I, what I'm thinking of is, you know, most of the real estate agents that we know are investors. That's true. This is my point. Like, we've had them on the show. That's why I was like, it's, you know, it feels to me like the majority of the people, at least that we're dealing with, for for buying um, and selling some of these uh, smaller investment properties are women and, and they're doing them themselves. I, I don't know hardly any that don't actually own rentals. Yep. Just don't go into it intimidated because then you're going to, if you feel like you're going to be, you know, um, taken advantage of, then you are, right? So just go in with a lot of confidence and just know there's a lot of women investors now. And I think it's great. Yeah. So Joseph has a question. He said, a while back, you did a video discussing the CPI and inflation, and you were discussing articles you pulled from shadow stats, and you referenced another price index other than the high, highly manipulated CPI to give a more realistic measure on inflation by city. Can you please reshare what that index is? I have to go off a of memory here. Shout out stats. I feel like you do that a lot, even though it might have been the PPI instead of the CPI. Would that have been right, Jerry? I think the producer price index is the one that precedes the consumer price index. And what that is, it's an index that looks at the cost to produce stuff. So it's, it's, if you think about it, it's the index before the CPI, I guess is said another way. So the PPI is something to watch in addition to the CPI. So um, that's the only thing I can recall at the moment. Uh, and you know, you never know with me, I'm like a mad scientist when I'm doing these videos. <laughs> I'm looking at all kinds of stuff. Uh, our next question comes from Jordan. Is there any time you would take a felon that applies to live in a rental if the crime was done a long time ago? So again, going back to our criteria, um, I, I, I would be guessing exactly how we're handling that, but most felons were not. So, uh, you know, when we run a criminal credit background check, you know, I, when I'm, by the way, I know there are plenty of people that have committed felons that are completely fine now, but you know, I'm thinking of not necessarily them. I'm thinking about the rest of the people, um, that they're living by or next to just in case. I don't want to be in, I don't want to be in a situation where there's liability on me. That's all. So I'm not trying to discriminate, but you can. So that's the thing. You, if you, if you create a criteria and you say, I don't accept felons and anybody with a criminal background check, then you have to do that for everyone. So, um, you know, if you've done it before, um, you know, and, um, you know, you've said you're not accepting them and now you are, then you're actually a little bit more exposed. So that's just our policy. Yeah, you just have to be consistent. Yeah. No matter what you do, to be consistent. So if you do, if you decide to take this person, then that's fine. But then 
whatever criteria you use for him or her, you have to then use for the next person that applies. Yeah. You can't, you know, have a feeling on this or something. So it, it just has to be a standard. Yep. So Bob has a question. What metrics do you follow to track the market and identify good markets? I'm interested in both for multifamily. I have 1,500 units and single family. Yeah. So the... I, I suggest that you get on every single national brokerage's uh, mailing list. So this is a good place to start. Now, they are brokers, so but what they have is they have very strong research departments. So I'm, th- I'm talking about Mercadia, Grubinellis. I'm talking about CBRE. I'm talking about JLL. I'm talking about these companies. What they do is they spend a tremendous amount of money on economic data and research. So they have very, very, very good information on absorption and supply and and rent growth and expenses and companies. You know, you think about it. If uh, you know, some of these these um, these brokers, you know, they're trying to sell you on on an investment property. Well, they need to know everything that's happening in that market. So all that stuff makes it into these into these um, you know these quarterly reports. There's so many other ones, you know, like, um, uh, you know, like Globe Street and um, uh, Yardie and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, uh, CoStar is another one. They're all really good uh, utilities and softwares that track rent growth and all that kind of stuff. But you need to take it kind of with a grain of salt. We do, you know, they're high level. And, you know, so when we're looking at a market like Houston, it's not meaningful because there's like a hundred submarkets in in Houston, right? So then you got to go down to the submarkets, and even there, it can't be that meaningful. So they're barometers, and they're things for you to look at. But when you look at Phoenix, you know it's impossible because North Phoenix and South Phoenix and East Phoenix and Central Phoenix—they're all different. So um, you know you have to you have to get down to that uh, into that minutia. Yep. And then Brent has a question. He said, if you or Daniil do any vacation or short-term rentals, what data do you track and where specifically do you find that data? Um, there has, I haven't found that there's a lot of great data uh, around this. So, um, you know, one of the things that I, one of the things I look for is you don't want boom and bust markets. So that should be obvious, but it's not obvious to everyone. So, you know, where do people want to be, for example, what, I'll give you a couple examples. Um, they want to be in Orange County. They want to be in Newport Beach, Huntington Beach. They want to be in Florida. They want to be in, um, you know, uh, South Padre Island in Texas. And, you know, they want to be in San Diego. Those are places that people think about and they go to. So, all right. So if you know that already, uh, you know, you can go to those markets and you can kind of see, are there too many in a market? Are there not enough? You know, uh, and then you got to look at how long and the amenity structure and all that kind of stuff. So as an example, you're probably not going to do that well on a short-term rental in Las Vegas because there's so many hotels and, you know, it's easier and hotel can, they can whack their price down to, you know, $89, $99 a month if their occupancy, or sorry, a night if their occupancy goes down. So there's all these factors that, you know, but you first got to start off with, you know, why are they there and how many are there, right? And and uh, so you got to be very careful. And then you, you price accordingly based on the market. Yeah, I mean, I think with um, short-term rentals, you want to focus on vacation areas, right? And I think another um, issue you could find is if you're industry-reliant. So if you're not in, in a, um, a vacation area, like say you're doing it in Akron, Ohio, where I'm from, you know, that's not a vacation area. So now you're industry reliant, like why people are coming there. Are they coming there for a job or are they coming there for, you know, something, you know, a, a festival or, you know, why are they coming there? And then do you want to be reliant on that specific thing? Because if that job market dries up, then all of a sudden you have no one to rent to. At least if you're in a vacation market, people are always going to be wanting to vacation in certain places. But like Ken said, you still have to check on, you know, if we go into a recession, can people afford to go on a vacation and how many vacation rentals are there? And it's hard to um, track that because a lot of times in the, you know, um, short term rental market, people kind of just 
they can just make, you know, they can just rent out their house that they live in and go stay at their mom's. And now you have a whole another player in the short term rental game. And we're seeing that a lot here in Phoenix, because if you look at like the Super Bowl that's coming, you have people that are advertising for like a whole house for like 100 bucks a night because clearly they're going to just go somewhere else and rent their house. And now you as an investor are trying to make money on your property against people that are just running their place. So it's it's trickier than the long-term rental market. Yeah. For sure. And uh, I guess uh, you, you, you don't want the, you don't want an, an event. You want, you know, a, a destiny. You want somewhere where people are going to go uh, and they have historically gone. You know, that's what you want. And you need to be in the right location, right? Like you don't want to be in a vacation market on the sketchy outer edge that nobody wants to like vacation in. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to be in a vacation market, Make sure you're by the malls and you're by the amusement parks and you're by the stuff people want to do. Because if you have this random vacation rental that's out in the middle of nowhere, if things start to get cut and the market starts to shrink, and that's what we're starting to see a little bit with these short-term rentals, your rental is not going to get rented. Right. Yeah. And and so, you know, one of the things that um, impacts, of course, is how many there others there are in the market. So, you know, if you're trying to run a three-bedroom house in Orlando, like you guys are doing this summer, and there's 50 others within a three or four-mile radius, which is actually um, not a stretch, you, you know, that means that there's going to be a lot more competition. Uh, you know, I was looking at Coeur d'Alene, Idaho this summer, and there's a lot more this summer, that, or this coming up summer, that, that there was last summer, which is interesting. Uh, now, that could be because there's more people getting into the market. Or it could be that less people are going. Uh, either way, if there's more inventory, so things are sitting vacant longer, they're sitting unrented longer. Um, so all that uh, comes into play. And, you know, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho is a, I would call it a boom and bust market because tell you what, you know, come come mid-September, man, the lights flip down and, you know, that place is dead. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy busy July, August, and let's say through Labor Day, but that's it. And so you don't want to be in a market like that because you're going to you're going to get killed for the rest of the nine months. Absolutely. All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed our show. We'll be live again next Monday at 11 o'clock Arizona time. Cheers, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Strategies podcast. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five star review on iTunes and let us know what you thought of today's episode. Thank you. And we'll see you next week.